0: Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green. I'm the host of Faith Seeking Understanding. It's been a good week. We've had a busy week, had a lot of things going on, good things, all of it. Uh, Got to hang out with friends, spend time with people, meet some new folks that are great. Um, Had a a long day today. We went for a hike. We went over to Tennessee, over to Rhone Mountain, and we hiked up and down the ridgeline from bald to bald to bald. It was really nice. quite a few people out today hot day which means one thing because I'm the palest man on earth and that means that I got sunburned my neck and head even though I had a hat on huh it'll be bad the next few days I'm accustomed to it so not that big a deal I'm 59 years old and it's happened to me many 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 times over the years so anyway feeling good today feeling excited about the Lord and what he's doing and what he's um, showing me and and Saying to me, and I'm excited about a whole lot of things right now. So, it's it's good. Today's a good day. Uh, hoping for a great day tomorrow as well. So, for a good weekend. So anyway, let's get at it. We're at um, August the second. So we're still in the season after Pentecost, as far as uh, the Anglican lectionary is concerned. I'm going to read the collect for you, the uh, prayer to start this. So, O Lord, we beseech thee, let your continual pity Or mercy, cleanse and defend thy church, and because it cannot continue in safety without your help, preserve it evermore by thy help and goodness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Gets to a central sort of truth that I think sometimes we forget and sometimes we take for granted, and that is that the truth, the church, can't survive in safety without his help. It's not possible. A church that is surviving without the help of God is a church that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's a church that's dying, frankly. And too many of our churches now are cruising along on cruise control or on the personality of the pastor or the whatever it is, the plan, the whatever it is, and there's no room for the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit needs to be alive and moving among God's people. It's, it's the hallmark of true revival. It's when the Spirit moves first among God's people. It awakens the sleeping church, the, the giant, the body of Christ on earth, and then begins to flow outward from the church as something exciting happens in the church, which means the lives of Christians. And then that, setting on fire of God's people, is what then becomes the attractive force that brings other people in because they want what Christians have. They perceive something different in the lives of Christians. And too often... We live under the circumstances. Too often we're not that attractive force that we're designed to be, the attractive force that Jesus was because too often we're just on cruise control and we're not people of genuine faith. We have the same fears the world does. We have the same concerns, the same doubts, the same lives that the world has. We were in a church in Pauley's Island for about six and a half years, and that church was known for one basic thing, and that is that church was alive. The Holy Spirit was active and moving. The Spirit moved in our worship. People would come, and they would visit, and they would just begin to weep. It was because God's people loved him so much that they worshiped with all they had. We sang incredibly well. We had a smallish choir. But the church, the people, sang. And they sang because they loved the Lord. And it was glorious, absolutely glorious. But that wasn't the only thing that was going on. We had a healing service on Wednesdays. And and that service drew people from all over the place who had heard things happen at that service. People got healed. Incredible stories were told of what happened there. Sometimes though what can happen to churches what can happen to Christians is we forget and God's got to take us to what I'm going to say today is a desolate place a place where we're desperate for him where we're afraid, where we're sinking in fear and doubt and then he can come and he can restore us And I think the church in America right now, this can be a time of restoration of God's people. And whatever church you may go to, pray for that pastor. Pray for the leadership team. Pray that the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, through them, to the people, through the people, to the world. Pray like you've never prayed before for revival in America because without it, we're sunk, we're dead. The more we go down this road of secularism, the worse it will actually be. The church needs to pray because the church needs to wake up. And the more we pray, the more we come in contact with the living God, the more opportunities he has to speak to us and to work in our lives and the lives of those in the church. But too often we pull away and we do our own thing. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. That's the lessons that we've got going today are going to follow that kind of pattern. And if it, it's odd, with the Old Testament lesson and the Gospel lesson, they both begin with important background stuff missing. The Gospel, for instance, is John or Matthew fourteen thirteen to 21. And it begins with, now when Jesus heard this. What do you mean? You can't begin a lesson with, now when Jesus heard this, what did he hear? But it says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So what did he hear that caused him to want to withdraw by himself to a desolate place? And it was about the beheading of John the Baptist, his cousin. The one who had first identified him as Messiah. The one God had used. And now he was gone. And Jesus withdrew to a desolate place by himself. But listen to the next sentence. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So Jesus wants to get away and get alone. To get alone with the Father. To say, what's going on? Where are we on the timeline. I'm hurting, not just the man who identified me, but my cousin, the, the, the one who was the precursor, the, the Elijah who was to come first. Is now gone. But crowds followed him because they found out where he was going. And so he meets the great crowd when he was there and he healed the sick because it said he had compassion on them. He was exhausted. He was weary He was emotionally exhausted, and yet here they came, and Jesus didn't push them away. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. It was evening. The disciples came to him and said, this is the desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and a couple of fish. And he said, bring them here to me. So he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And then they took up 12 baskets full. Every disciple had a basket and they took up each a basket of broken pieces that were left over. And those who were ate were about 5,000 men between women and children. Jesus went to be alone. With the father and 5,000 men besides women and children came and he had compassion on them in his hour of need. The father didn't give him a break. He sent people to him. And instead of turning them away out of his own weakness, his own brokenness, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick and then he fed them. God did great. Miracles there in that desolate place where Jesus went to be alone. We don't like going to desolate places most of the time. You've been in that situation where you just need to get away. You need to be by yourself. You need to process something you've heard, something you've experienced. Desolate places come in all shapes and sizes. You can get in the car, drive out, and just stay in the car for a while. And create your own space, your desolate space. It's harder to do that now with cell phones. But I can remember times when I would get in the car and I would go somewhere. And I would be gone for a half hour, 45 minutes. Because I just had to get space. And there was nowhere to have it at home. Other people create space in different ways. They create space with alcohol and drugs and all kinds of other things. But those desolate places are the places we go when we need a break from reality when life is too hard. Jesus didn't get that break this day. The Father sent him people and what he needed at some level was to know again. If you remember that the thing that Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness every time he tempted him, if you're truly God's son. So whatever questions Jesus may have had about what's going on When John is beheaded, if he's questioning the plan, now the Father anoints him with great power of the Spirit to heal people. And whatever doubt he had was completely blown away in that moment of healing the sick, feeding the 5,000. And the disciples saw a great display of power that was not in Jesus' flesh. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew he was weary. They knew he was beaten down. They knew what he actually wanted to do. And so what they saw was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they knew that that came from the Father. That strength. That power. In the Old Testament lesson, we have Jacob. That lesson begins with that same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. You mean that same night? What night are we talking about? Last week when we left him, he had just gone through that whole mess with Laban, with Rachel and Leah. That night? No, a lot happened between last week's lesson and this week's lesson. In last week's lesson, Laban had tricked him, remember, and and substituted Leah for Rachel. And and Jacob wakes up in the morning and says, what have you done to me? He says, we don't let the younger get married first in our culture. That's not the way it works, big boy. So you had to marry her. Now, when you're done with her after seven years, you've worked for her. Now you're going to have to work another seven years for Rachel. And so he did, and then another six years passed, and then a lot goes on there, and you'll hear about it in the Genesis thing that I'm getting ready to do. But the, a lot happens, and finally he gets free of Laban, but not easily, of course, because Laban's Laban. And then Rachel, as they're leaving, steals her father's household gods. She still hasn't accepted this whole God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob thing, so she takes her father's gods, the little idol's, and takes him with her. Laban chases after him, and he's upset because Jacob left supposedly without allowing me to bless my grandchildren and my daughters. Um, but what he was really after and interested in was she. somebody took my household goods. Somebody ripped me off and stole my household goods. And so Jacob says, I didn't steal them. Nobody here stole them. See if you can find them. If you find them, and if you find the person who did, they will die. Well, Rachel stole them, but Rachel hid them. And then, of course, being Laban's daughter, she used deception to hide that and to um, keep her father from looking where they were hidden is probably the easiest way to say that. So then he and Jacob sort of halfway, not really, bless each other, and then they set up a pillar and say, hey, this is a pillar between the two of us. This is called Mizpah. And neither of us can cross this over intending harm for the other. In other words, we... We may be parting on smiling terms, but not on good terms. I don't trust you. You don't trust me. And so Jacob goes on, and then what does he do? Well, he decides he's getting closer and closer to home, so he's, he's afraid of Esau. And we know that he's afraid of Esau because he says that he's afraid of Esau. He prays about his fear of Esau. It says he was greatly afraid and distressed because word came to him that said, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and then he goes on and he prays and he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Because he had two wives and a bunch of kids and a bunch of stuff. He says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers, with the children. You said, I'll surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude.'" So he remembered the promise, or the promise says, actually, God had given him, which was that you'll come back, and I'll do you good, and then I'll also make your offspring as the sand of the sea. He remembered, all. so that prayer ends in a pretty good way. He confessed his fear. He confessed what God had said to him, and, and then what did he do? Well, he sent a bunch of stuff to Esau, drove after drove, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And then he sent them on ahead to Esau as sort of a, hey, I'm giving you a lot of stuff, so don't come after me. And, but he, he didn't think that was good enough either. And so what he did was he took himself back apart from everybody else, and he stayed by himself that night waiting for the meeting that would come the next day with his brother Esau and that's where our lesson comes up the same night the night that he went back across the Jabbok by himself to a desolate place he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and then he was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day when the man saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him and then he, Jacob or he that Man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not bless you go unless you bless me. Now, that's just Jacob, right? <laughs> you got to bless me, first. you got to bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you've striven with God and with men, and you've prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said to him, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Well, that's a little weird. Let's just be honest about it. Who is this man? Why the hip? Why that? Well, What's going on with all that? Why is it okay for Jacob that, him to ask Jacob's name, but not Jacob to ask his name? What is all this about? Why does he have to be let go? Because it's daylight. Well, we'll talk more about that <laughs> in that Genesis podcast. To give you a little quick one though on it, it's we, we're pretty sure that's an angel. <laughs> but who is this angel? Who is this specific angel? That we'll talk about more in the in the in the uh, Genesis podcast because it gets really complicated. There's lots of options that they find available for that. And so what he says, let me go for the day is broken after he puts his hip out of his okay, Let me go for the day is broken. Jews believe about that, that that angel, as with all the angels, have a, a job that starts every day. And that is they have to be there at dawn to sing God's praises. And if they're not, they're basically banished for thousands of years before they can come back. And so this one needs to get back because he's got to do that job. He was sent here to do a job as well. And what is that? So God met with Jacob there in the form of an angel. But what does Jacob say? He called the name of the place, Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. Nobody thought they could see God face to face, but Jacob said he did that day. There's a lot to unpack with all that. But in today... What we want to talk about is this idea of being in a desolate place. Jacob went there to first to pray and then kind of to well hide and be alone. He put as much distance as he could possibly put but between himself and Esau, his brother whom he had defrauded. But not only did he put space in between him, he put stuff in between. Him. He put his whole family, he put all the servants, he put all the the herds that he had between him and Jacob. But he wasn't safe. He thought he was safe, but he wasn't safe. He wasn't safe there because God knew where he was and God came and met him in that place. The glorious thing is the next day, Jacob walks out in front of everything. Limps, but walks out in front of everything. He goes to meet his brother Esau. It's not a day when he covers himself in glory in that meeting, but he goes first because he strove with God and man and prevailed. And he had seen God face to face and his fears weren't fully conquered because we'll see when we do the Genesis thing, the way he greets Esau is obsequious. There's no other way to describe it. Um, But... He went first. He was in the rear that night, behind everything. And the next morning, after this, he, he went to the front and faced his fear, what he saw. Because in some ways, he had faced it there. He faced a greater foe, as it were, in that angel that wrestled with him through the night. <clears throat> and so he knew if he had striven with God and man and prevailed, then he'd be okay. God sometimes has the weirdest ways of answering prayer, right? Because he he, get, he asked God to do something and, and to make good his word. And he confessed his fear. So what happens is God attacks him in the night. If it's an angel, the angel didn't just make a decision and say, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm not going to mention this to anybody, but I'm just going to go attack him. That's not what happened. Jacob proved himself that night. God sent that angel in answer to Jacob's prayer. He didn't change his circumstances. He changed Jacob. He took away his fear by wrestling with it all night. As tired as he was, Jacob still wanted the blessing. Instead, he gets a new name changed his character. When he changed his character he changed his destiny. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to answer them. He he didn't answer Jesus' prayer, his unspoken prayer of I'm going to go be alone the way that Jesus expected. In fact, he got at least 5,000 people to come along with him to be alone. Jacob wanted to be alone. God said no. That's not Right. Just like it was not good for man to be alone in the beginning, here it's not good for Jacob to be alone either. He's not changing Esau. Jacob has to deal with Jacob because Jacob is the problem and so Jacob is the one who's changed in all this. He assumes a whole lot of stuff about Esau but is Jacob a different man? Because the most important thing here is that Jacob needs to be a different man. And so he goes to this place to be alone and he's alone with himself and what happens is is that God attacks him there with this wrestling match. And Jacob proves himself. But he's changed in two ways, right? He's changed because now he has a dislocated hip and he has a new name. But he has a new way of thinking about himself. He has proven himself. He, he's not any longer a man who has to live by fear. And so he goes to the head of the line and he meets his brother there. Paul, in Romans 9, 1-5, to since I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, but I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship of the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to go to a desolate place. In fact, Paul spent years going to his people to try and get them to believe. He argued with them in the synagogues. He argued with them wherever he went. And they gathered, Paul argued with them about the truth of the gospel and about the truth of the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ to argue with them that he was the Messiah that they were looking for in spite of the fact that they didn't see it because they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. Paul's argument was he is the Messiah. Paul was so converted. He never had a doubt about that after Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus. And so here, having suffered greatly at the hands of his people, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was thrown out of towns, he was thrown out of synagogues, he was thrown in prison multiple times by his people. And yet here, writing to the Romans, to the church in Rome, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, the people who have persecuted me and made my life a living hell. I wish that I were cursed because of them and cut off from Christ. That's the mind of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus did. It's that. He took the curse on for the sake of his brothers, those who were created in the image of God in order that we might be brought back into the fold. Jesus came and met his Esau, and that Esau are us. And his hip wasn't put out a joint, but he was beaten. He was flogged. A crown of thorns placed on his head, spat upon, cursed, reviled, and ultimately crucified. He didn't have to come here. He came to what we don't recognize as a desolate place, but from his perspective, it was a desolate place to start with to meet his brother, the one who hated him, who had rejected him. And he took it all. Received every last lash, every last curse, every nail, Spear on the side, crown of thorns on the head, the mocking tribute, king of the Jews on the cross. He, this was Jesus' desolate place. He came here in order that we might be with him for all eternity, even those who hated him. Sometimes we've got to go to the desolate place. We have to allow God to answer our prayers the way he sees fit because only he knows the best way to answer those prayers. We can pray about our brothers and against our brothers, save me from that guy, that woman, that whoever who hates me. But sometimes the one that's got to be confronted is us. It's just, it's us. Like I said, there's a lot of ways of getting to a desolate place if you're in that desolate place that one, now one way or another call out to him expect him to come and show up in that place and meet you there maybe not answer your prayer the way you want him to answer it but it'll be the way you need him to answer it and you can trust him because he came to that desolate place and allowed his brother to deal with him and to put him on the cross for love of them not fear of them, love of them he loves you he wants to meet you in that place he wants you to be the man or woman who can fulfill the call that he has on your life whatever promise he's made you, whatever call he has for you, if you seem a long way away from that call, Jacob's been 20 years away from it, if it seems a long way away, it's not been wasted time. But maybe today is the moment in your desolate place that he wants to meet you. Just be ready. Because it can come at any moment. Lay down your fears. Give them to him. Confess them. Because in confessing them to him, you're confessing them to yourself. You're saying it out loud. You're owning your fears. But remind him of the promises he's made to you as well. Because you're reminding yourself, God promised me this. Give it all to him. And then be prepared for him to do whatever he wants in whatever way he wants to deal with all of that. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. Thanks for being here today, being on the journey. If you've got any comments, questions, prayer requests, or whatever, please go to the Facebook page and send me a direct message. Send it through that Facebook page. Send it to me, John Green. You can find me all through that page. Um, I'd be happy to pray for you. I will be Uh, honored to be uh, trusted with your prayer requests i hope this week is a blessed week for you i hope it is a time when you meet with him in that desolate place he fills you with his spirit and he prepares you for battle prepares you for the work that he's given you to do as long as you're breathing it's not over with there's still hope and there's still work to be done